chapter 7, Luke chapter 7, we're back in our series in the book of Luke, this is Jesus, and it's hard to believe we're already about halfway through chapter 7 here, but we are, and I've just been uh, thrilled and excited with what we've been being reminded of, the life of Jesus, nothing here is new, these stories we've heard our whole life, heard them in Sunday school many different times, Uh, but I'm thankful to be able to study this verse by verse and be reminded of who our Savior is and what is available for us through him, but we're here in Luke chapter 7, verse 11, we understand Jesus just left Capernaum. We saw a few weeks ago, he healed the servant of the centurion there. And as he left Capernaum, he went to a city called Nain that we're going to find here in this part of the text. And it's located in Lower Galilee. It's about nine, nine miles south of Nazareth. And today, is, it is still in existence. There's about 2,000 people that live in this tiny town. And we see Jesus in this passage about to meet a, a widow woman who had just lost her son, and he's going to show us compassion by making a journey just to that town. That's the only thing that we know of that he did in name. But as we see his compassion, we also see his power as he's about to deliver this young man uh, from death. So let's stand together and begin reading here in verse 11 of Luke chapter 7. It says, And it came to pass the day after that he went into a city called Nain, and many of his disciples went with him and much people. Now when he came nigh to the great gate of the city, behold, there was a dead man carried out, the only son of his mother, and she was a widow, and much people of the city was with her. And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her, and said unto her, Weep not. And he came and touched the bier, and they that, they that bare him stood still, and he said, Young man, I say unto thee, Arise. And he that was dead sat up and began to speak, and he delivered him to his mother. There came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. Let's pray together. Lord, we love you. God, we thank you for your word, and we thank you, Lord, for the privilege that it is to be here in church together. And God, we praise you. God, for who you are, we praise you for the power that is in your name that we've just witnessed in these few verses of Scripture. And Lord, I pray that you would help us this morning as we are sitting under the the preaching of your word, that you would give us exactly what you have for us. Use me as your vessel today. Be with the children over in the service in the other building. We ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Who did Jesus come for? Who did Jesus come for? We look in the book of Luke and we see the theme verse that we've shared many times. It says, for the Son of Man has come to seek and to save what? That which was lost. And throughout the book of Luke, we've seen Jesus reach many different people. The people of Jesus' ministry was a a wide variety of different types of people because all men are in need of what he had to give them. Three weeks ago, we saw Jesus come to the house, and not even come to the house for the servant of of a centurion soldier. We look earlier in the book of Luke and and the other gospels, we find Jesus go find some young fishermen named Peter, Andrew, James, and John. We see Jesus go to the uh, publicans and to uh, the tax collectors, those that the other Jews in the community hated and, and, and could not stand and did not want to help in any way. But Jesus came for a young man named Matthew. He came for a lame man that had done nothing for anyone in this world that was dropped through the roof there. He came for the poor, the blind, the hungry, those who mourn. As we look at this story today, we see Jesus coming for someone who was suffering. Suffering. 
19th century preacher Joseph Parker, he said, Preach to the suffering and you will never lack a congregation. There is a broken heart in every pew. I want to ask you this morning, has your heart ever been broken? Have you ever had a moment of suffering in your life? I think if I was to ask for a raise of hands this morning, every one of us would admit that at one point or another or many instances in our life we have suffered or have sorrowed over something. And the gospel of Jesus Christ is something that offers that true hope and real power to this hurting world. And as we look at our text this morning, we see this hurting woman, this widow. And Jesus arrived to the city of Nain and he came across a funeral procession for the only son of a widow. There's a small town there in Nain and it is apparent that many people in this town were hurting because of that loss and many were mourning with this woman. Some of them were paid to mourn for this death and others no doubt just felt the loss that this woman had felt. What we know about this woman is that she lost her only son. We look there in the beginning of our verses and and we see that very clearly uh, displayed there for us. She had no way to provide for herself. In this culture there, in the day and age that she lived in, women could not work. They could not provide for themselves in many instances, and they would depend on their husband. If their husband died, they would depend next on the son. And if the son died, they would be forced to beg. And that is the situation we find of this woman in this instance. She had no one to provide for her, no one to take care of her. But as we look at that, I have, I have no doubt that that was not even her immediate concern in this instance. Her immediate concern was that she had lost again someone that she loved dearly. You know, no one's going to provide for her. But now we find this woman completely alone. A desperate circumstance. You know, we live in a world that is full of sorrow, don't we? We can look, we, we wouldn't have to look even further than this auditorium to find sickness, to find pain, to find disease and the results of certain diseases and the trouble all around us. We could go from one end of the world to the other end and we could find families and, and groups of people full of weeping and full of mourning. And, and as we look at those things and as we understand sorrow today, where does all that come from? What, what is the reason for sorrow? The Bible gives us an answer. It is sin. Sin is the source. You know, there would have never been any tears, there would never been any illnesses or deaths or funerals in this world if there had never been sin. But as we look around us and as we experience difficulties of life, when sorrow comes, sin is often the last thing to be blamed, isn't it? When sorrow comes or when trials come or difficulties or, or hard situations, what do, what do people tend to do? We, we might blame someone else, other people. Over a hardship in our life, we may blame the job, may blame a boss, maybe we blame the economy, maybe we blame the president or other politicians for sorrow that we may be experiencing. What about a doctor? Doctor made a wrong call on something or there's a wrong plan of action here or we might blame genetics or we might blame the certain foods that, that are out there for us to eat or the certain water that we may drink and some people may go as far to blame God for allowing difficulties to come in their life. But I want to encourage you today that when difficulties come, I want to make sure that we put blame at the right door. The blame needs to be on sin. You know, the son being carried 
in this coffin was a reminder that sin and death are the enemy that we cannot defeat on our own. We look in Romans chapter 5 verse 12, it says, Wherefore, as by one man sin entered into the world, and death by sin, and so death passed upon what? All men, for that all have sinned. From the first sin of Adam and Eve until this moment, death has been winning. The people of Jesus' ministry were sinners, full of sorrow, just like us. As we see these people of Jesus' ministry, we move on here and we see the love of Jesus' ministry. See this woman that was hurting, we look there in verse 13 and it says, And when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her and said unto her, Weep not. As we look at this text, we really find no reason for Jesus to be in Nain except for this one circumstance. About 20 miles from Capernaum, it'd be a full day's walk from where he was there with the centurion this next day to be there in Nain. It's just a little town. It's insignificant. But Jesus determined to go to Nain this day and to, to bring his followers along with him on this day's journey miles out of the way for this widow and her son. But as we see this story playing out and as we read what is going on here, we find two large crowds coming together. Jesus there arrived at the gate of the city with his disciples and we find this crowd they came into that was altogether grieving and hopeless. Hired professionals that that were there, they were there walking with them, wailing loudly. And we find this this bereaved mother wearing torn clothes as they would have uh, been customary in those days. And she'd been walking most likely uh, uh, above the arms of her comforters as people holding her up and walking with her. In front of this open stretcher carrying the body of her son. It's a hopeless scene. And then we find this second group of people coming from the opposite direction. They're arriving into town as the other is is leaving town there at the gate of the city. Following Jesus who had been performing great miracles just the day before. He spoke and this servant had been healed from a distance. You could imagine as Jesus would walk with them, they would, they would talk about all that they had seen happen and all that they hoped to happen one day and the chatter and the bright faces, the smiles, the laughter. We look at these two groups as they come together and what a sharp contrast that is between the two crowds, isn't it? Wherever Jesus is absent, there's despair. Wherever he is present, there is hope. You know, Jesus came to bring hope, and Jesus came to the city to help this woman who had no hope. That is the love of Jesus. And as he looked at her, we we find here, and when the Lord saw her, he had compassion on her. He saw her pain. This is the first usage we find in the book of Luke of the word Lord. I want to, as we look at this word this morning, I want to remind you exactly who it is that saw her. That that word Lord is is the word uh, kyrios. And it's translated in the Old Testament, the same word, the title Adonai, the highest title given to God in the Old Testament. And it's the same word that was used in the psalm to write, O Lord, our God, how excellent is thy name in all the earth. And as Luke is writing of Jesus, he is referencing him, not just as the Son of God, but as the Lord God, as Adonai, the sovereign one. The one who rules over all things with all authority and power. And this title was, that was reserved for God was now given to the Son of God, God in the flesh. What, a, what an awesome thing that is to see that. And before Jesus displays his awesome power, Luke says, The Lord, Kyrios, Adonai, 
the sovereign one, saw her. That's who sees you today. This Jesus that sees this woman, this Jesus that just left Capernaum after healing the the servant there is not just the Son of God, he is God in the flesh. Look in the book of John, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word what? Was God. Jesus himself in John chapter 10 said, I and my Father are one. In the book of Isaiah, he prophesied saying, for unto us a child is born, unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor. What's next? The Mighty God, the Everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. This Jesus was not just the Son of God, not just a prophet. This was God in the flesh, Almighty Sovereign God. And it was this Jesus This sovereign God who saw her and had compassion on her. He didn't have to. The the reason that she had this sorrow was because of sin. Because of the choice of men, not of God. But as he saw her, he he had compassion. And that that word compassion there has to do with this feeling of something in your gut. uh, Some emotion that would churn your stomach. It moved him. His heart felt for her. He felt it strongly enough. He was moved to help her. He hurt for this pain she was experiencing. There's something different about this woman than we found just a few weeks ago on the centurion and his servant. We we saw there in the beginning of chapter 7 what happened. The elders came to Jesus on behalf of this man, didn't they? They said, he's worthy you do this. He's a good man. He's going through a difficult time, and we would like for you to heal. He would like for you to heal his servant. No one came to Jesus for this woman. We, We look in this text. She hasn't said a word to Jesus at this point. She's not asked for anything. She's not seeking a miracle. She hasn't thrown herself at the feet of Jesus as we find in many other instances in the word of God. She didn't ask him for anything and it's quite possible she didn't even know who Jesus was being in that town. But Jesus saw her as she was a person with no hope without him. That's grace. Unmerited favor. We have enough evidence of Jesus this morning to point and confidently say that our God and Jesus are full of compassion. The psalm states that our God is full of compassion. He says, but thou, O Lord, art a God full of compassion and gracious, long-suffering and plenteous in mercy and in truth. And Jesus saw this woman, he saw her circumstances, and he had compassion for her. Listen, listen today, God sees you no matter what you are going through no matter who is there for you or who is not there for you our God sees you God knows you he not only sees you where you are and sees you in your life he knows your situation he knows what you are going through not only does he see you not only does he know you but God loves you and he cares for you And he looks at you just like he saw this woman, hopeless without him. And I want to tell you this morning, if you right now are living your life without him, he came seeking to save you. If you today are here and are in need, he wants to supply that need. If you are here with any cares, he wants you to give those things over to him. That is how Jesus sees us. 
And it's how we should see those who don't know him. If we want to be effective witnesses for Christ, we must ask God to give us compassion for the lost. I, I want that compassion that Jesus had. So often we overlook people. So often we walk by someone that's hurting. We walk by someone without Christ and we don't feel a thing, don't we? Ask God every day for that compassion. You know, Jesus looked at this woman, he saw her pain, and then what did he do? After he saw the pain, Jesus brought her comfort. We look here in verse 13, he saw her and had compassion and said unto her, weep not. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 5. 1 Peter chapter 5, he said, weep not. You know, in my office, I have a couple different pastoral handbooks. A guidebook for pastors is one book that, that most preachers have probably owned at one point or another. But the, the words weep not, or I don't find those in any instructional guides on how to deal with people that are hurting. If there's, someone, if there's one thing you don't say to someone who's grieving, you, or, or as you go through a funeral, as you go through someone that's going through loss, you don't look at them and say, stop crying. Can you imagine being there for this? We have these professional mourners that are surrounding this woman and they are, they are crying and they're audibly making these horrible noises and Jesus looks at the one who lost her son and says, stop crying. Don't weep. What, what are you talking about? She, she just lost her son. Don't, don't tell her not to cry. Of course she should cry. But as Jesus was looking to her, as he said those words to her, that's, that's not the mind that he had and, and as he was saying those things. You know, Jesus knew the pain she, she felt. He had compassion. He was, he was moved by what she was going through. And he knew better than anyone else what was going on and he was there to help. And, and telling her not to weep, he was telling her to trust him. He knew exactly what he was doing. He had help for her that day that no one else could ever offer to her. He was in control. Remember, this is Adonai. This is the sovereign God speaking. And he said those things to comfort her. Now, I'm thankful today that our Savior cares for us. We looked at 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 7. What does it say? Casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. It's a complete act. That word casting there refers to the act of throwing or casting something. It refers to a one-time deal. We are told there in that, in that verse, once for all, to throw our burdens to Jesus. And there's going to be many moments in our life when we are discouraged or, or when we feel sorrow or when we feel burdened with something. I want to tell you, you don't have to bear those burdens alone. There is one who is stronger than we are who is willing to carry that load. It's a complete act. How much of our burden, how much of our care, how much of our sorrow does the Bible tell us to give to Jesus? All. All of it. Everything. In another epistle it says, be careful for what? Nothing. Be full of care over nothing. We're not even to keep the smallest part of that burden to ourselves. We're to give it to Jesus. How can we do that? How are we able to give all these things over to him and just trust him with it where there's nothing else we can do for ourselves? We can do it with absolute confidence because he's told us he cares for us. 
You know, the Bible tells us in Hebrews chapter 4, For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted, like as we are yet without sin. He knows what you're going through. And when we are burdened today, it touches the heart of God, and he's moved on our behalf, just as we find here in our text. Jesus Christ himself is actively involved in caring for you. He spoke to this woman. He saw her pain. He said, weep not. She didn't know his plan. But I have no doubt as he was speaking to her, she knew that he cared for her. That is the love of Jesus. But not only do we see his love in our text, we continue to read and we find the power of Jesus' ministry. Jesus saw her and he said, weep not. And then he went to the real one in need, not the widow woman. He went to the dead one. We we look there in verse 14. It says, and he came and touched the bier. And they that bear him stood still. Jesus went to the funeral bed. He he touched the dead. Just a few moments ago, Jesus looked at this woman and says, stop crying. And they start gasping over what is being said. And now he walks over and goes against Jewish customs by touching the dead. Can you hear the shock? Can you hear the, the gasps in the crowd? This wasn't normal. Book of Numbers chapter 19 says, He that toucheth the dead body of any man shall be unclean seven days. Later in that chapter, in chapter 19 of Numbers, it says, And whosoever toucheth one that is slain with a sword in the open fields or, in a, or a dead body or a bone of a man or a grave shall be unclean seven days. That is a defiling act that Jesus just did in front of all these people. But as Jesus did this, he demonstrated that he could not be defiled. He couldn't be made dirty. He could not be made unclean. Why? Because he is the holy son of God. In the book of Romans chapter 8 says, For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus hath made me free from the law of sin and death. For what the law could not do, in that it was weak through the flesh, God, sending his own Son in the likeness of sinful flesh, and for sin condemned sin in the flesh, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh but after the Spirit. Jesus came to overcome sin. And when he touched the coffin, it didn't make him unclean. Instead, his power immediately eliminated the presence of death and defilement. And then he looked at this corpse and spoke with authority. He spoke to this dead man and he said, arise. Now we've seen this command given by Jesus already in this book just a few chapters before this. He looked at a paralytic there in the floor who had been lowered down through the roof and he said, arise, take up thy bed and walk. But he's saying this now to a dead man. They hadn't yet seen this one. He did what no one else could do. You know, the book of John, Jesus himself said, I am the resurrection and the life. He that believeth in me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Jesus not only has authority over sin, but now we find he has authority over death. And we look in verse 15 and we see Jesus brought life. What does it say? And he that was dead sat up. And began to speak. I wonder if the mourners thought they were still getting paid at this moment. This young man that was dead, laying there on that bed, now sits up all the way. Jesus healed him all the way and gave him life. 
You know, there may be someone here this morning that's going through a situation that feels like it's out of your control. I want to encourage you today that Jesus has power to give life. He has power to help you in that situation. Turn to Ephesians chapter 1. Ephesians chapter 1. There is power in the name of Jesus this morning to break every chain. But we must come to Jesus. It's all powerful. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 19 it says, And what is the exceeding greatness of his power? What, what do we know about the power of Jesus? It says, to us who believe according to the working of his mighty power, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above principality and power and might and dominion in every name that is named not only in this world, but also in that which is to come. We see the power of, of Christ described in, in really four different ways here in these, these few verses. We look there in verse 19, that word power that is given is the same word that gives us the word dynamite. It's an inherent power residing in a thing by virtue of its very nature. And Paul says that that power that resides in Jesus is exceeding great. It means this morning that the power that we have in Jesus, this power that he used to heal this young man to bring him back to life, the power that he used to heal a servant in the town the day before is exceeding great and it is more powerful than we could ever need or anyone could ever want. And who is it for? Usward who believe. This power is a power that the child of God has access to. A lost person can't experience this power without, without Christ, but it's given us in, in a great abundance and it's in an exceeding great manner when we have come to Jesus. And not just is it an exceeding great power, but it is a working power. That, 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 that word there that, we, that is used here is the word that we get the word energy from. It's an energizing power of the Holy Spirit that enables us to live for Jesus day by day. So we have this power that is greater than anything we could experience that as the Holy Spirit that lives within you, as you live by His Spirit, it can enable you to do whatever it is that He has instructed us to do. And as He works within us and as He uses us, He gives us energy or the power to live for Him and it is something that is mighty. It's about force or strength there we find there. It gives us a supernatural ability or supernatural strength to do things that we might think are impossible for us to do or accomplish for him. That power gives us the ability to have dominion over sin. The power to live for God even when opposition may be great. You know, so often we ask the Lord for strength and power, which I understand we, we need to make sure we are full of the Holy Spirit. We are operating in His power. But, but if you're still there in, in Ephesians, as we read those three verses, there's not a moment where Paul says that we need to pray for the power. And he, and he says that because he knows that the power that we need 
is already within us in the Spirit of God. But so many Christians don't ever live realizing that. You know, we pray for strength all the time, and I, I, I pray that the, as, that the Spirit that lives within me will fill me and use me. We may pray for the, the power to endure suffering when God has already promised us all the power we need. We may pray for the power to witness when he's already given us his spirit to strengthen us to witness. We pray for power to do the will of God when the power has already been given to us. All the power we need was given to us the moment we were saved by the grace of God. And the power to serve God and see him do great things in us and through us is already living within us. It just needs to be exercised. Look at, look at verse 20. Look at Ephesians chapter 3 verse 20. It says, now unto him that is able to do exceeding abundantly above all that we ask or think according to the power that what? Worketh in us. The same power that invaded the tomb of Jesus, the same power that raised him from the dead, the same power that raised this young man from the dead in Luke chapter 7, is the power that is at work in our life. It is a death-conquering power. It is a life-changing power. It is a resurrection in power that can work in our lives. And often our need is not more power. Our need is wisdom in how to use the power for God's glory. The power that he's already given us. The power that lives within us. That power is yours if you're a Christian. Available. Let's get back to our text. Jesus in his power raised this young man from the dead. And then we look. It says, and he delivered him to his mother. He committed him. He bestowed a gift to this woman. He presented a son that was once dead who is now alive to his mother. Jesus gave this widow her son back. He gave this young man life. And Jesus will give life to any who seek it. As you look at the story, Jesus came for all, didn't he? Jesus loves all, and Jesus is enough for all, or more than enough. As we look at the end of the story in verse 16 and 17, what happens here? And there came a fear on all, and they glorified God, saying that a great prophet has risen up among us, and that God hath visited his people. And this rumor of him went forth throughout all Judea and throughout all the region round about. These people were amazed at what they saw. They, they, they trembled in fear at the power they had just experienced. They were filled with awe, they praised God, and then what did they do? They spread the news about Jesus. So how should we respond to what's been done in our life? Be filled with awe, praise God, spread the news. So what are you doing with the story of Jesus today? 
As we looked at the beginning of this text, there were two groups of people, weren't there? One of the groups was his disciples. They, they followed Jesus, and Jesus, he fed them, he led them, he gave them life, he taught them, he had everything they needed. They trusted him, and they experienced his power exercised so many, many times. And the second group of people were not following Jesus. They were following a dead man, full of sorrow, no hope handling things the best they could, but nothing was going to change that day if Jesus hadn't come to town. What group are you? How are you living with the story of Jesus? This old preacher once said, happy moments, praise God. Difficult moments, seek God. Quiet moments, Worship God. Painful moments, trust God. Every moment, thank God. Jesus cares, and he is exceeding great, more than enough. But what are we doing for him today?